everybody. This is Ellen Weatherford. I'm here with just the zoo of us with a special brand new friend today. This is T. Francis. Say hi, T. Hi. Today we're talking about tarantulas, which is really exciting for me because I am only somewhat familiar with them, and so I'm really excited to learn more about them. But before we talk about tarantulas, let's get to know you a little bit. So can you introduce yourself a little bit for our friends? Yeah, so hi, I'm T, and I am a huge spider nerd, which is why I'm here talking about spiders today. I'm a bit of everything. I do a lot of things. I'm an artist, but I'm also heading back into academia. So I'm putting a lot of time and effort into studying spiders in an official capacity at the moment. But in terms of what I do to sort of support myself and make a living right now, I'm, I'm an artist. So I do a lot of illustration work, um, jewelry work, all kinds of bits and pieces. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a bit of a mixed bag. <laughs> <laughs> and you have a very impressive spider collection. Can you tell me a little bit about your spiders? Yeah, there's lots of them. (laughs) (laughs) I have a spider room. So in my house, I have a converted bedroom that acts as my studio and office. And that's where my spider collection is. And basically, I have probably about four or 500 spiders in there at the moment, I think. Lots of different types. So several different types of tarantula and true spiders as well. So true spiders are basically most things that aren't a tarantula um so like huntsman spiders wolf spiders fishing spiders spitting spiders jumping spiders all kinds of different things so i've got stuff ranging from super super tiny to absolutely massive in there and i love all of it it's amazing (laughs) that's interesting that you said that tarantulas like are apart from true spiders what makes a tarantula not a true spider Okay, so getting into a little bit of taxonomy, I'm going to try and keep it as simple as I can. The class Arachnida, that class incorporates all different types of arachnids. So besides spiders, you've got like scorpions, pseudoscorpions, harvestmen, whip spiders, sun spiders, all these kinds of different things that are also considered arachnids. The spiders are in an order called Araneae, and that order that order is then further divided into two suborders. So you've got Mesothele, which contains just super primitive, like one group of really primitive spiders, and then Apistothele, if I pronounce that right, which is everything else. Um, Apistothele is then further divided into Mygalomorphy and Araneomorphy. Mygalomorphy are, that's the group that contains tarantulas. And alongside tarantulas, there's also things like trapdoor spiders, um, the super venomous Sydney funnel web spiders over in Australia. And they're classified by certain physical characteristics, most notably their chelicery and their fangs. So mygalomorphs, uh, their chelicery and their fangs are kind of parallel to one another and downward facing. Then you've got um, araneomorphy. That's the group that are known as true spiders. Everything else is in that group and they have slightly different alignment in the sort of chelicery and fang department. So their fangs tend to cross over each other and they have a bit more of a pincher kind of arrangement rather than like two dracula fangs for want of a better way of (laughs) describing it downward facing fangs so that's the bottom line of kind of like super basic how you would differentiate them so although all tarantulas are in the group mygalomorphy there are other spiders in there that aren't anywhere near as big But to look at them, once you start looking at like physical characteristics, like overall build and like their eye arrangements and their fangs, you can start to see the similarities. Okay. So 
when I hear tarantula, I think just big hairy spider. <laughs> like, what makes a tarantula a tarantula? That's a big question because there are so, so, so many different types of tarantula. And some of the characteristics people associate with tarantulas, such as um, a lot of people will know that there are types of tarantulas that have what are called urticating hairs, which are hairs that they can flick in defense, you know, against predators or attack or whatever that are super irritating. But not all tarantulas have those. So that's not necessarily the only thing that makes a tarantula a tarantula. So there are there are lots of different things. So the whole hairy kind of thing is, yeah, that's pretty much a tarantula thing, like I can't really think of any tarantulas that are shiny and bald like some of the um, other mygalomorph spiders like the Sydney funnel webs and mouse spiders from Australia, for example. They're quite glossy black. Um, some of the mouse spiders have like bright cherry red on them as well. But they're quite glossy because they don't have a whole load of hairs all over them like the tarantulas do. Like most tarantulas that I've worked with and that I've ever seen have got a pretty dense coating of hair all over their bodies. Other things come into play as well that sort of tend to set spider families apart. So all tarantulas are in the family Theraphosidae. One of the characteristics that you look at when you're trying to differentiate different spider families is the eye arrangement. So exactly what kind of pattern their eyes make when you know when you look at the arrangement of eyes like the little grouping of eyes like how they're arranged so when you look at other mygalomorph spiders they're similar but there may be like subtle differences that would help you differentiate size is not a way of telling either because there are dwarf tarantula species that are really really tiny oh that's really cute yeah super <laughs> cute and i'm going to tell you about a couple of those that are just like so cute it should be illegal um <laughs> yeah so like size is not is not a way of telling you might think that you know if it's absolutely massive it's got to be a tarantula right well no there are other mygalomorphs out there that are pretty hefty and then there are tarantulas that are not at all <laughs> they're very small so um it's mostly down to uh subtle things like like i said eye arrangement and hair Okay, next big burning question I have about tarantulas before we like get into really like rating them and stuff. Do tarantulas make webs? I this is my maybe a stupid question. <laughs> it's not. It's not a stupid question at all. And the answer is yeah, they do. But to what extent depends on the species. And not only to what extent, but also like what they do with it. So I don't know how familiar you are with tarantulas as pets, but like amongst hobbyist pet tarantula keepers there's this thing that they do that people refer to as the happy dance so like when they've caught their prey they'll grasp their prey in their in their fangs they'll be holding on to it and they'll do this little dance where they're kind of like turning on the spot and bobbing around and their butts kind of going up and down and they're, they're, they're just like they're like yeah i got my food this is great you know and it's like it's a cute little happy dance but what they're actually doing is they're laying web so they're using their spinnerets to lay some silk on the ground. And there's a bit of speculation as to exactly why they do this. Some people think that, you know, they're pretty fastidious. They don't like to make a whole lot of mess. So some people think that they're laying a layer of silk to, you know, sort of help keep any kind of mess or whatever from feeding contained. Others, well, I mean, I've seen them do this myself. Like sometimes if they capture prey and they're not quite ready to eat it there and then, they'll lay a little silk mat and then they'll put their prey down and then they'll put some more silk over the top of it, which is basically like spider saran wrap. They're keeping it for later. So, <laughs> you know, so like there's that kind of behavior that you see even in those that don't necessarily spin a whole lot of web otherwise. 
there are some species that will spin a lot of web just because it's it's what they do it's how they create their retreat that they live inside so there are some hobbies like hobby staple species like the one that's commonly known as a green bottle blue its scientific name is chromatopelma cyanopubescens it's very well known in the spider keeping hobby as being a very prolific webber so as soon as you set up an enclosure and you move one in give it a day or two and the whole thing will be shrouded in silk they just put it everywhere <laughs> it's really cool like it's it's nice to look at you know it's, it's really interesting but then you've got other species that barely put any silk down at all so these are things like yeah they do spin webs and some species do it more so than others so if you're looking at keeping a spider depending on what you want if you want something visual that's going to look all cool with web everywhere then there are certain species that you would look at for that specifically then you've got other species that do cool stuff with their webs. So there are actually some species of tarantulas that make trapdoors. So although they're not trapdoor spiders per se, they do make trapdoors that they live underneath and that they will burst out of to capture their prey and take it all back inside. And they do that by spinning silk around like debris and bits of dirt and whatever else that they have around them to make a camouflage trapdoor that you, you can't see unless you're looking for it. That's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> and that is a good opportunity for us to look at our first rating for tarantulas. If you haven't listened to this podcast before, this is what we do. We review our animals. And the first category that we rate them on out of 10 is effectiveness. So for us, this is adaptations to their body that let them do a good job of the things that they're trying to do. So these are things in their body that help them catch their prey or evade predators or, you know, camouflage or perceive what's going on around them. So what would you give tarantulas out of 10 for effectiveness? I mean, obviously, I'm going to give them 10. You and I, <laughs> you know this about me, you know that I will get upset if I rate anything <laughs> less than 10. If it's a spider, I just can't help it. But I won't make you do that. <laughs> Thank you. At face value, there are things about them that people would probably think are not that great like they can't see terribly well and they're kind of clumsy and huge and obviously not all of them but like if we talk about the big ones you know and you're like okay well if you can't really see that well and you're kind of big and if you were to fall from a height of greater than a few inches you might die you might think that that's a bit useless right but they're not. They've got so many different adaptations that help them do what they do that they've remained largely unchanged for God knows how much time. You know, they are extremely well adapted to do what they do. So if we look at New World species, so New World species are those that live in the Americas, so uh, North and South America. Old World species are Africa, Asia, Europe, Australia, everywhere else, basically. New World spiders, New World tarantulas, sorry, they have uh, these urticating hairs. So urticating hairs are the hairs that they can flick that are hugely irritating, that help them defend themselves against attack from predators or just, you know, anything that wants to hurt them. Old world tarantulas don't have those. So if we focus on the new world for a minute, these hairs, they have the obvious benefit, like if a spider's being pursued by something, it could just flick a cloud of these hairs. And, you know, if they get in something's eyes, it's in trouble. They can run away. But they use them in other ways as well. So when a spider molts, to backtrack slightly, with as with all invertebrates, they molt to grow. So female tarantulas continue to molt throughout their lives, whereas male tarantulas, once they reach maturity, they have a final molt, then they mature, then they do their thing, then they die. But females can live for a very long time. And one of the ways they do this, the one of the ways they're able to live for such a long time is by molting for, throughout the rest of their lives. 
When they molt, they are extremely vulnerable. They can't defend themselves physically. They come out of their old exoskeleton very soft-bodied and they have to spend a little time uh, hardening off before they can actually go out and do anything. They can't feed while they're like that because their fangs are softened. Everything is just really vulnerable. So what you find a lot of these spiders that possess urticating hairs do is they'll spin a mat of silk, which they will molt on top of, but then they'll flick a whole load of their urticating hairs all over it before they flip over. And then they'll flip onto their back. And the result is that both the molt mat and the surrounding area and the spider are now covered in urticating hairs. So if anything tries to come for it while it's molting, it's going to be in serious trouble. So that's super cool. <laughs> they have coated themselves in like spicy Dorito flavoring. Yeah. And, and it's not to be messed with. I promise you, it is just the worst. <laughs> so, oh no, this sounds like the voice of experience. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll say a little bit more about that in a second, but like for something that can't see terribly well. So they've got eight eyes and their eight eyes are tiny, tiny little simple sort of eyes clustered in a little blob in the middle at the front of their cephalothorax, their head, basically. And those eyes are, they're little more than light sensors, basically. So they can sense movement and they can sense light. The movement they can sense is basically the movement of shadows. So they don't really have any vision. They can't spot something in detail and know what it is. They can't see things coming for them from like most angles because these eyes are kind of like on top of their head. They don't see much. So they have to rely on other senses to know what's happening around them. And that's where all of those hairs that aren't the urticating hairs come into play. Pretty much every hair on a spider's body is in some way useful in terms of like sensory perception. So they've got long CT, CT hairs on their legs and on their bodies that are super, super sensitive to vibrations on the air and like air movement, all of that kind of thing. So just through having those, they can they can sense sounds like the vibrations caused by sound. They're, they're aware of that. Um, they're aware of air movement from things that are like walking around them or coming towards them. They're super in tune to like the vibration from prey walking past. You know, they can sense exactly where it is and they can strike at it lightning fast, get those fangs in there immediately and, and it's done. You blink and you miss it. They're unbelievably fast. For something that can't see terribly well and is kind of big and can be really vulnerable because of the size of it and because of its exoskeleton and because of having to molt regularly and all of this. These things that you might consider cumbersome and, you know, a bit of an impairment, they've got all of these super fine-tuned adaptations to overcompensate for those things that make them unbelievably efficient at what they do. So yeah, I'd rate them a 10 out of 10 all day. <laughs> <laughs> when you said that they like are good at striking quickly, it made me think of in Animal Crossing. <laughs> I don't know if you've played the new Animal Crossing. Oh, yes. Okay. So the tarantulas in Animal Crossing are a lot to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't actually come across one yet because when I really? got the game, yeah, when I got the game, they'd gone out of season and it was scorpions. And they've only just recently come back, like in November they came back and I haven't had time to play all that much in the last month. So I haven't actually found one yet and I'm super bummed about it. And if I don't catch a tarantula, <laughs> let me tell you the world is going to know about it. <laughs> the tarantulas in Animal Crossing are so mean. They will... <laughs> just no scope you from across the map if they see you like if they're just a pixel of your head is within the line of sight of the tarantula they will just run at you 
And those things are so fast. (laughs) Are they worse than the scorpions? I don't know if they're worse than the scorpions, but they definitely freak me out more than the scorpions do because they're just like, they're very, very quick. You have to pretty much already have your net out ready to go. When they come at you, you got to just like time it right so that like you're you're not going to be getting away from them. They're faster than you. So like (laughs) there's not a lot of options you have. They're going to get you. You just have to be like ready to catch them with your net. I'm excited. I'm going to go tarantula hunting tonight. (laughs) (laughs) It's really satisfying to catch one. But when you said that they were like fast, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, like some of them are, some of them aren't. And like they differ a lot in terms of their temperament. So you've got some, a lot of people use the word aggressive when it comes to describing tarantulas and, you know, different types of spiders that people keep. I don't like that. I don't like that word. They're not aggressive. They don't want to attack you. They don't want to bite you. They don't want to waste their time hurting you just because they're defensive. So if they feel threatened, then they'll defend themselves, some more so than others. So going back to what I was saying about new world versus old world, because the old world species don't have urticating hairs, they have to rely on basic defensiveness and venom to defend themselves. So new world tarantulas tend to have less potent venom, old world tarantulas have more potent venom and tend to be a little bit quicker to defend themselves than the new worlds because the new worlds are just flick and run basically, whereas old worlds are stand and fight. (laughs) So, So you'll find that there are some species that are kept very commonly within the hobby that have got a bit of a reputation for themselves because of this. And one of those is its scientific name is Pteranochylus murinus. It's commonly known as the orange baboon tarantula, which is abbreviated to OBT, which has also come to mean orange bitey thing, because they are commonly known as being pretty defensive. As soon as you go near them, like a lot of the time, they'll throw a threat pose, which is where they throw their front two sets of legs up in the air and like, you know, lean backwards and show you their fangs. Quite often when they've got their fangs on show, you know, they'll bring them out a little bit. You might even see bits of like drops of venom from the tips of the fangs, like if they're really angry, but they're speedy. You know, and that can be said for, well, it can be said for all of them if they're hunting and they've sensed prey, like they can go after it fast. But when it comes to like more defensive species, um, you know, if they're fairly quick to bite, if they feel that threatened, you know, some of the old worlds are super quick. So you've got to be quite sort of careful when you're handling them or dealing with them, you know, because like lightning fast when they want to be. So yeah, Animal Crossing have pretty much nailed that. (laughs) (laughs) I was, when you were describing that posture, they they do that like in the game they do yeah. the, like they rear back and i don't think there's a sound associated with it do they make any sounds do tarantulas make sounds yeah some do so you might have heard of uh Therophosa, the goliath bird eaters they're the largest species of tarantula in the world by weight and by mass they're the largest species of spider in the world but there are others out there that have leg spans that would compete with those so depends on what you're looking at if you're asking about the largest species of spider in the world Therophosa, as a genus, contains three species, and they are huge. They are absolutely enormous, (laughs) massive (laughs) dinner plate kind of leg span, you know. 10, 11 inches for a large female is not unheard of, and I'm sure the largest probably measured more than that. I'm not sure about other species. There are other species that can do it, I'm sure. I can't think which ones right now. Therophosa are the ones that spring to mind. They make a hissing sound when they're alarmed, and the way they do this is by a process called stridulation. So stridulation is basically the rubbing of hairs together, so specialised bristles. And when they get 
startled or angry or whatever, they rub them together and they make this pretty loud hissing sound. This is like a grasshopper, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's essentially the same kind of thing. So it's kind of alarming because <laughs> you, <don't think> <laughs> you don't think of spiders as being particularly loud. But yeah, I've got a sub-adult male Theraphosus sturmi, which is commonly known as the Burgundy Goliath bird eater. He's a beast. He's huge. <laughs> um, and the first, like when he arrived here, they sent him to me in like a plastic tub, all fully lined with like paper towels and stuff. So he was safe. But written on the plastic tub in big red Sharpie letters was beware, he will bite, you know. And I was like, okay, all right, fine. Unless I'm ready for that, you know. I wouldn't be too happy to be taken out of a plastic box that I'd just been shipped to somebody in either, to be fair. I'd probably bite you as well, but... Sure, he's had a rough day. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, oh, I'll go easy on him, it's fine. So I'm, I'm opening the tub and I'm sort of getting ready to usher him into his brand new palace that I've built for him. And the first thing I'm aware of is this super loud hissing sound. Now, I know they do it, but I'd not had a spider of this species this size before. And the young ones don't tend to do it so much. So like, it's more the large juveniles and the adults that tend to do this. And like when they reach that kind of size, the sound is, is pretty loud. So he's doing all this hissing. I'm like, whoa, no way. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, spiders can make sounds. That's really cool. I've never heard like I've never heard a spider make a sound before, but it also wasn't the sort of thing that had crossed my mind. Like, you know, when you're when you're teaching little kids about like what sound do these animals make, you know, like, oh, the pig says oink, the duck says quack, the spider. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the spider sounds a bit like an angry cat. Um <laughs> uh, the funny thing is is that like I don't keep them in my bedroom anymore, but back in the day I used to have all of my tarantulas in my bedroom. And at night time, my god, they're loud, like not hissing and, and like making sounds themselves, but just stomping around and doing stuff. You know, I'm like, <laughs> guys, I'm trying to sleep. <laughs> People who maybe aren't necessarily big fans of spiders would probably be unnerved by the thought that there would be a spider that would have such heft to it that it would actually make sounds by <laughs> stomping yeah. around and moving things yeah oh they're like are they like pushing things around bulldozing stuff around like some of them are really into remodeling you know you'll oh. put together a really nice enclosure for them and they're just like no 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 the feng shui is all wrong in here this needs to be over here i can't have green in that corner it's got to go over there i'm going to put some silk all over that one and that's fine and then you know it's just like you wake up the next day and the brand spanking new water bowl you put in there has now got dirt all in it you can't even see it anymore and the spider's just sat in the corner basically like yeah well you know you did it wrong so <laughs> i fixed the vibe yeah like, you clearly did not learn about interior design did you <laughs> <laughs> so with your tarantulas that you keep have you been bitten by them you mentioned a minute ago that you would be prepared to be bitten by one are you familiar with being bitten by spiders like is this a, a common thing i have worked with spiders in a hands-on capacity for 20 years and i have never been bitten by one ever what yeah never? I've, no i've never even come close because the thing is is that if you are working with them with respect and some consideration for their behavior and their body language and just how they respond to things. They give you plenty of warning. They don't just come at you and bite you for no reason, which is a common misconception with spiders that drives me mad on a daily basis. The media doesn't help. They're straight in there with all these, ah, oh, deadly something or other, invading the country, bite people, die, ah, you know, and it's just like, they don't do that. First and foremost, their venom is a valuable resource that they don't want to waste. Secondly, 
They're not stupid. They know that if they bite something that many times their size, the likelihood is they're not going to come out of it terribly well off. So they want to get away from you. A bite is they think they're going to die. It's their last stand. They don't want to do it. So no, I've never I've never been bitten by by any of the spiders that I work with because I don't handle them unnecessarily. I don't I don't see the point. I've handled them just to see what it's about, but only if I can see that they're chill with it, you know, and that they're not threatened and that they're not having a bad time. I don't want to stress them out unnecessarily, but certainly not just for my benefit. So, you know, you can tell straight away if a spider doesn't want to know, it's going to back away from you. It's going to run away. It's going to jerk away. It's going to throw a threat posture if it has to, you know, it's like they give you plenty of warning before they, before they bite. Some are quicker to bite than others. So, you know, you may have some species which would be considered a bit more advanced if you're looking at keeping tarantulas, like um, the genus Pocolotheria, for example, the Indian ornamentals. They're an arboreal species of old world spiders that are very fast really beautiful but they also have quite potent venom and you know compared to some of the softer kind of more puppy like new world species they're going to be a bit quicker to use it if if they feel they have to but again it's a case of not putting yourself in a situation where one's going to need to do it you know something that um we've talked about before when we talked about black widow spiders because we have black widow spiders here where we live um there's one in our garage right now (laughs) she's our little buddy i'm so jealous You know, a lot of times people will assume that, you know, if a spider is venomous, that it's going to bite you. But really, it takes a lot. Yeah, it does. To get a spider to bite you, you have to be really messing with them, which I get can happen accidentally. Yeah. But they're not going to preemptively attack you. When I lived in America, the two that used to come up most regularly were black widows and brown recluses. Mm-hmm. Um, I lived in Los Angeles and everyone was like, oh my God, brown recluses, they're everywhere. I was like, they don't even live here. You need to relax. <laughs> um, they've got a range like you can find a map quite easily online if you just Google brown recluse range, like distribution in the United States. It's pretty localized and it's nowhere near California. So everyone being all like, oh my God, this is for nothing. Now, black widows, if you interfere with them, if you get all up in their business while they're in their web, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to drop to the ground and play dead. They're just going to curl up in a ball and they're going to fall on the floor and they're going to hope you leave them alone because (laughs) they're scared, you know. A brown recluse is going to run away from you. They are the shyest. They just, they're so scared. They're timid. Really? Yeah. Well, yes. Yes, exactly that. (laughs) They they are. But they're just so timid, you know. And it's like for a spider to have such a bad reputation, you kind of expect that when you come up on one, it's going to be like, I'm going to murder you now. But like, no, they just like, please, please leave me alone. I just want to be by myself. And that's exactly it with pretty much all of them. So if you hear from people who's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I got bit by one of these. Maybe it was in their bed and they rolled over onto it. Maybe it was in their boot while they were putting it on. Maybe it had ended up in their clothes that they pick up off the floor and they go to put on or something. You know, it's not come running at them from across the room and bitten them while they were watching TV. So they're not just going to drop down from the ceiling and bite you for no reason just because they feel like it. It's just not something that happens. And yeah, I mean, with tarantulas, a lot of people keep them. A lot of people... I feel bad saying this, but it's true and it bears saying a lot of people keep them for the wrong reasons. So they're kind of up there like with the whole reptile thing. You've got all these bros out there keeping all these huge constrictors and feeding them live prey and everything because they're like, oh, dude, I'm so hard, you know, and it's like, oh, man, you know, and accidents happen when people do things for the wrong reasons or without the required experience or like 
research prior to going into something. This is when you tend to find people getting bitten by things, you know, because they're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to show my buddy my tarantula. I'm going to reach in there and grab it from above, which is exactly what a predator would do. So, like, the spider's going to be like, oh, God, I'm going to die. And that's when it throws a threat pose and gets ignored and delivers a bite, you know. Now, if you look at a tarantula, even at a molt, you know, if you find um, a photo of a molt or, you know, a photo of the underside of a tarantula, from the underneath of it, you can see its fangs very clearly. And they are large. So for a decent-sized tarantula to bite you, you're going to feel it. I've never felt it personally, obviously, because I've never been bitten. But, you know, I mean, I'm able to see what they look like. And I have been stabbed by sharp objects before now. So I can put two and two together and figure (laughs) out what that's likely to feel like. A double stab with a pretty... Think of, like, cat claws. So a tarantula fang is not a world apart from a cat claw in its kind of size and shape. You know, an adult, decent-sized tarantula. Got fangs that are up there with the same kind of size as, you know, regular cat claw, curved, very sharp. So it's going to feel like a couple of those being stabbed into your skin. The venom from tarantulas varies. So with New World tarantulas, it tends to be mild, sort of bee sting kind of potency. It's it's not going to do you any damage. It might be a bit sore for a couple of days, but, you know, it might itch a little bit. It's not going to do any harm. But some of the old world species that have more potent venom, though they're not considered medically significant, so they're not the kind of thing that you're going to want to worry about serious health problems with, um, you know, you'll notice things like increased heart rate, shortness of breath, localized swelling. Uh, if you get bit on your hand, you may find that like your whole arm will swell up for like 72 hours or something and be really uncomfortable. Some people say that, you know, it's hugely painful for two, three days, and then it goes away. And then, you know, over the course of the next week, they might notice a bit of tenderness in their joints, but it gradually goes away and there's no long, there's no lasting effect. So, yeah, I mean, they're not something that you'd want to get bitten by. What is something you'd want (laughs) to get bitten by? But as with all spiders, it's not anywhere near as big a thing as people seem to think it is. All the more reason to uh, give them their space. Yeah. Be be respectful of their zone. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I feel like there's an opportunity to talk about some interesting stuff in our next category. The next category is ingenuity. And these are behavioral adaptations that an animal has that let it compete with other species or do a good job, outsmart things, solve problems. What would you give tarantulas for ingenuity? I know we've already talked about some cool behaviors that they do. So what would you give them out of 10? Well, I'm just going to go straight in and say 10 out of 10 because that's what I do. Um, <laughs> but no, seriously, I I can think of several examples of things that specific species of tarantula do that are just amazing, just absolutely incredible. Now, I did say before when I was talking about the urticating hairs in our last rating that I'd get back to it and I was saving it for this whole ingenuity section. So I want to talk a little bit. <laughs> about the urticating hair situation. I mentioned the Therophosa genus, the, the Goliath bird eaters. There are three species in that genus. You've got Therophosa sturmi, which is the burgundy goliath that I mentioned. You've got Therophosa blondi, which is the goliath bird eater that most people are aware of. It's like the one that everyone thinks of when they think of giant bird eating spiders. And then there's Therophosa apophysis, which is the pink toed goliath bird eater. They're all terrestrial species, which means that they live on the ground. Um, they burrow, so they'll excavate a bit of you know dirt, make themselves a nice little hollow somewhere, line it with silk, and that's where they tend to hang out. They are known for having the most 
irritating, urticating hairs of all of the tarantulas that possess them. And I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that that is 100% true. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I have several New World species. Some of them are flickier than others. So some of them like the Brachypelma genus, for example. So the Mexican red knee that, again, it's sort of the quintessential pet tarantula that everybody thinks of, the black one with the red knees and the, you know, lovely sort of flame colors on it. That's a Brachypelma species. Brachypelma tend to be quite flicky. As soon as you go near the enclosure, as soon as you open it to feed them or change their water, there tends to be a cloud of hairs kicked at you and they've hightailed it into their burrow or, you know, wherever. They itch. You know, you get them on your skin, you'll know about it. They itch for a while, but not long. You know, they tend to itch for maybe five, ten minutes and then it kind of calms down. It's like nothing happened. Therophosa, on the other hand. So of the three Therophosa, Therophosa apophysis is by far the worst. If I am unfortunate enough to get any of those hairs anywhere near me, I come out in instant pinprick blisters straight away. As soon as they touch my skin, tiny, tiny, tiny little pinprick fluid filled blisters that itch like crazy. So the first thing I do is I have to go and get some rubbing alcohol and just clean my skin off with that to try and get rid of them. I don't know if that helps. That's something I've come up with myself. I've never read that anywhere. So like people may be listening to this like, what is she talking about? I don't know. Okay. It's an act of desperation. It is an act of sheer desperation. Don't judge me. So I'll wipe my skin down with alcohol and then I'll put some hydrocortisone on it and I'll take an antihistamine and in 20 minutes or so I might notice that they've started to go down and it's not quite so itchy anymore anything that has urticating hairs they tend to flick them for not much reason if they feel like a breeze they don't like they might think it's a predator they'll flick their hairs if they're going to molt they'll flick a load of hairs and put them down on the ground whatever so when you're cleaning them out you've got to be aware that their substrate is going to be full of these things and they don't lose their effectiveness because the way they work is they're barbed they don't have any chemical on them they work mechanically so they're tiny 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 little barbed hairs that basically stick in your skin if you've ever brushed past a cactus that's got those tiny little fluffy uh, hairs on it rather than just like the big spikes those little hairs they're called glockids and they're horrible you can't see them but you know they're there mm-hmm. it's the same kind of deal with the eticating hairs you can't see them but you know they're there and they just dig into your skin and and do their job they irritate you if you breathe them in that can cause some problems with respiratory issues if you get them in your eyes they can blind you they're not to be played with they've developed these things for a reason they are effective And they don't need other forms of defense for a reason. So, you know, you respect the fact that these things are very good at what they do and extremely irritating. So in terms of ingenuity, that's a good one. (laughs) Um, The other things that I can think of, I mean, obviously, I did mention before uh, their sensitivity to movement and vibrations when they're in their burrow. If they're hungry, if they're in sort of hunting mode, they're not active hunters. They don't go out and and hunt down prey like a wolf spider does, for example, because they can't see. So they have to rely on stuff coming to them. So they're ambush hunters. They lay in wait. And when something comes within range, they'll come out and strike at it. They'll grab it and they'll take it back into their their hide or, you know, their retreat. So you'll often find that um, a spider will be in the entrance of its burrow. You might see the front sort of couple pairs of legs spread out in the opening to its burrow, poised and ready. As soon as anything walks on any of those silk threads that it's laid out, you know, it lines its retreat with silk and it might have a little bit of silken kind of matting out the front of it. As soon as anything touches that, it knows. You've got some that are more kind of 
uh, responsive than others. So like even when I'm filling water bowls, as soon as a tarantula feels the vibration of water drops hitting that bowl, it's straight over there attacking the water. So, you know, some of them are really responsive to these things and others, you know, not so much. They'll wait for something to actually come over and practically poke it and be like, hey, you hungry? <laughs> That's a really like fine tuned adaptation as well that that enables them to do you know, extremely well when it comes to hunting and defending themselves. But the one that I've been saving that I, oh, I just love this so much. Okay. <laughs> so it's a dwarf species of tarantula. It's a new world species. It's from South America. It's commonly known as the Brazilian jewel tarantula. Its scientific name is Typhoclina celadonia. It's a tiny little thing. So its leg span as an adult is under two inches, I would say. Aww. It is a living rainbow. This thing is absolutely stunningly beautiful. Beautiful. Its abdomen has got like these black bands on it and in between the bands, or I suppose they're kind of almost like tiger stripes, in between these stripes is like an iridescent gradient from like magenta to teal and like blue. Absolutely incredible. Like this vivid turquoise and teal on the legs. It's just otherworldly stunning. I just pulled up a picture on Google and yeah. <laughs> worth, if you're listening to this, get your phone out or your computer or whatever and Google it right now. I promise you, even if you're arachnophobic, just look it up. I swear to you, it, it's it's worth it. It's a good one. It's so pretty. So, um, but the funniest thing about these is like, you've seen what it looks like now. And now I get to tell you that it spends all its life, pretty much, hidden underneath a trapdoor. Nobody ever gets to see it. So it's just like, <laughs> I'm pretty for me. <laughs> that's, oh. that's it, you know. That's like when you have to wear your face mask, but you do your makeup anyway. <laughs> yeah, I did that for the first time the other day. I put red lipstick on just to go out and work in my garage. And then I had to go somewhere with my mask on. I was like, this isn't going to go well. I'm going to look like a joker when I take this off. It actually <laughs> held up all right, though. But anyway, I digress. So this spider... <laughs> It lives up in the tree, so it's an arboreal species. What it does is it'll find a recess in the bark of the tree that it lives on, big enough for it to kind of settle into. And then it'll gather little bits of moss and lichen and other stuff from the surrounding area. And it'll spin it all together in this dense little mat of uh, silk and like all of these little bits that it's picked up and form it into a door. And this trapdoor fits flush over this uh, recess that it's chosen in the tree. The recess is silk lined and then it's got this door over the top of it and it is seamless. You can't see it. It's just absolutely incredible. It picks all of these little perfect little bits of like whatever's around where it's where it's settled down so there'll be like i said mosses lichens little bits of bark anything small that it can just kind of weave into this perfect little door and then that door just sits over the top of it and it's inside the trap door and if anything comes past it'll reach out real quickly grab it and pull it back inside it doesn't come out to drink it waits for the rainfall so it's in rainforest it waits for the rainfall comes trickling down the trees past the trap door it'll drink whatever comes like through the trapdoor pretty much it gets its moisture that way so if you keep them in captivity misting them down it's not going to come out to drink from the walls of the enclosure like some of them do it's not going to use a water bowl you need to simulate raindrops on and around the trapdoor for it to drink from don't expect to see it uh, <laughs> because once it's made its trapdoor it goes in there and it doesn't come out very often but that is a very unusual behavior for a tarantula there are other other tarantula species that make trapdoors but only a handful like very very few and the others are old world species so they're uh, african as far as i'm aware um you've got idiothelia myra which is a dwarf 
species of tarantula from Africa, which spins a trapdoor, but it's a it's a fossorial species. So fossorial means burrowing. So it makes a deep burrow and it tops it with a trapdoor that's made pretty much the same way as the Brazilian jewel does it, but it uses substrate, so like the dirt and everything from around where it is. You can't see that either unless you're looking for it. And again, it'll just be in there waiting for vibrations. As soon as it feels something, it shoots out, grabs it, pulls it back inside. It's it's incredible. I didn't know about trapdoor tarantulas until a couple of years ago, and I've worked with them, you know, for years and years. So to learn about that was something new for me. And I mean, that's just amazing to me. That's that's ingenuity at its finest. That is evolutionary <laughs> ingenuity. That is just chef's kiss. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, because like they're in such an advantageous position where they can catch their prey without putting themselves in a vulnerable position, right? Like nothing's mm-hmm. going to see them while they're out and about hunting. They molt in there as well. So like, I don't even know that mine's molted until it kicks the skin out, until it kicks like the exuvium out of its trapdoor. It's like, hey, you clean this up. <laughs> <laughs> Ma'am, here you go. Yes, here's my laundry. Take it away. <laughs> this makes me think, not just about the trapdoor tarantulas, but about like tarantulas in general. What does their sort of parenting style look like? How do they do with their babies? I don't know anything about baby tarantulas. Are baby tarantulas cute? Oh, God, yeah. Well, you're asking the wrong person. Of course, I'm going to say they're cute. (laughs) (laughs) I think they're absolutely adorable. Uh, When you look at spiders on the whole, there's a whole different array of maternal behaviors and they range from i'm going to lay an egg sac and i'm going to leave and i never want to see those babies right the way to i love my babies so much i'm going to let them eat me so like there's there's a whole spectrum of maternal behavior when it comes to spiders now tarantulas they're not particularly maternal like they don't do anything over and above like to you know for their babies but they'll hang on to an egg sac and they'll protect it and when the babies hatch they tend to stick around for a little while maybe until they've molted and then they'll disperse and once they've dispersed they're on their own you have some species that tend to be a little bit better with their young than others so a lot of the baboon spiders so baboon spiders are african tarantulas it's just a colloquial term for african tarantulas like tarantulas in africa are generally known as baboon spiders And there are loads of different types. So the orange baboon tarantula, the OBT that I was talking about earlier, that's one of them. Uh, The Idiotheli myra, the trapdoor spider that I was mentioning a minute ago, that's a baboon spider. There's all kinds of different types. They tend to be pretty good with their offspring. So when I say pretty good, what I mean by that is they'll tolerate them being around and they won't eat them. And they tend to allow them to stick around in their burrows for a little bit longer than others might You'll find with some that if you leave an egg sac with the mother, which people who breed them don't tend to do, they'll tend to pull an egg sac out and they'll incubate it externally, hatch them out, monitor them, and and there is no maternal interaction there at all. But sometimes people will leave the egg sac in with the parents. You tend to find that more with people who breed baboons because they are more tolerant of having the babies around. Um, When they do that, they'll hatch out of the egg sac and they'll hang out in the burrow for a bit and then they'll just they'll just leave and they'll go out and there'll be loads of them. Depending on the species, sometimes there's like 40 to 50, sometimes there's going to be over a 1,000. It it depends entirely on species, size of egg sac, what kind of condition the female's in, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, they're not, they're not like crazy maternal, but they're not like super cannibalistic, going to eat them as soon as they hatch either. <laughs> so. It's a good middle ground as far as spider moms go. Yeah. Well, so our last category that we talk about for our animals, I feel like you're probably 
uniquely suited to talk about because of your career as an artist. This is aesthetics. Just how lovely the animal is. What do you give tarantulas for aesthetics? They're unbelievably diverse when it comes to appearance. So there are some out there that even I don't mind admitting that, you know, they're they're pretty boring to look at, like just dull, brown, nondescript, whatever. Obviously, I'm going to find charming characteristics and I will gush for days about, oh, my God, look at its eyes. They're so cute. And look at those calissary. And oh, wow. But, you know, most people can be like, okay, it's a big, hairy brown spider. But then you've got the Brazilian jewel, who is like the supermodel of the spider world. But that is by no stretch of the imagination the only beautiful spider out there. There are spiders of all different colours, tarantulas of all different colours. So from glossy jet black through to, you know, you've got the Togo starburst, Heteroscodra maculata. It's an old world species. It's almost silver white with black markings on it, like all these black spots and like starburst patterns on it. Stunningly beautiful, absolutely gorgeous looking spider. From an artist's point of view... Spiders like that are an absolute joy to paint because I'm very detail oriented. So I will sit down and I will map out an illustration and I'll be looking for the details. So like the tiny little hairs and the markings and everything, I get lost in in painting, that kind of thing. Bonus points for bright colours. So at the moment, this has taken me ages to get through this commission just because I've had a lot of health issues lately. But I'm working on a commission for somebody that is a Pocalotheria metallica, which is one of the Indian ornamental spiders that I mentioned earlier. It's bright blue like it's got all of these beautiful markings on it but like the most vibrant colors on it are this bright like cobalt blue and bright yellow so the whole spider is not uniformly that color it's got black stripes on its legs it's got black banding on its abdomen parts of its abdomen and its carapace are kind of like a silvery sort of color but then there's on the legs and areas of like the body as well there's this brilliant sort of almost indigo through to like cobalt blue like gradient with these beautiful yellow bits so painting that is just like when I'm painting spiders, I don't often get to use a color palette that vibrant. You know, it's it's really quite stunning. In terms of aesthetics, obviously, they've all got eight legs. They've all got, you know, a little cluster of tiny little beady eyes at the front of their, their carapace. Like tarantulas are pretty much uniformly shaped. They're chunky, some more so than others. Some of them have longer hairs than others. Some of them have quite short hairs. But, you know, the colours and the patterns, there are so many different ones, so many different types. So I mentioned dwarf tarantulas earlier. There are some in the genus Cosmos, which are black and orange. The orange on them is kind of like a metallic, uh, really bright, vibrant orange. And you'll see like Cosmos elegans, uh, Leetzi, and I think bicolor as well. And a few of the others, they have almost like a love heart shape on their abdomen. So they've actually got like a heart shape on their abdomen surrounded by like black tiger stripes and orange and like their legs, some of them Cosmos Leetzi and Elegans, for example, they also they both have like silver kind of hairs on their legs too. So they've got like this beautiful silvery white sheen to parts of their legs. And then this beautiful like inky black and bright orange. And they're just, they're really beautiful to look at. And then, like, what else have we got? So some of the arboreals from South America that people know of in the uh, hobby, pink-toed tarantulas, like Avicularia. Avicularia, as a genus, was split up into several new genera a little while ago. So what used to be known as uh, Avicularia, you've now got Carabina and Ibrapora. Carabina versicolor is one of the popular ones in the hobby. As spiderlings, they're bright metallic blue 
with stripes on them, kind of pale blue stripes on this bright turquoise. And then as they get older, they, they kind of lose that color and go more kind of like purple green. Is spiderling the word for a young spider? Yeah. Is it really? Yes. Oh, you're going to love this as well. Scorpions are known as scorplings. Scorplings. I know. It's adorable. I know all of these really cute little things. So like the fact that a baby spider is called a spiderling and the fact that, you know, this Brazilian jewel is this tiny, really cute little fluffy thing. And, you know, all of this stuff. I've got all of these little tips and tricks to help people <laughs> who are arachnophobic start to see them in a different way. So like Syria Cosmos with their little love heart butts. I'm like, how could you be scared of anything with a love heart on its butt? Are you serious? Come look at it. It's so cute. You know, it's like I, I, I know all these little these little tricks, but spiderlings. Yes, that is the term for baby spiders. So, yeah. I mean, aesthetics, yeah, they're, they're definitely, there's, there's so much beauty amongst them. And just, ugh, I could never get tired of looking at them, honestly. What has been your favorite spider to illustrate? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I was having a lot of fun recently illustrating velvet spiders. They're not tarantulas. They're a type of true spider. And they are ridiculously cute. They're really kind of chunky and dumpy. And they're called velvet spiders because the hairs on their bodies give them this kind of, well, velvet look, like very kind of matte. There's very short kind of uniform hairs all over their body. So they give them this very kind of like dense matte kind of appearance. And they've got really flat little faces with tiny, tiny little round eyes. And they're just really chunky and cute. So I really enjoy illustrating those. <laughs> I got out my phone and I pulled up Google and I typed in velvet spider. Mm. And you know how Google will like suggest search terms mm -hmm. <laughs> the first suggestion was velvet spider cute yeah there you go you see it's another poster child for it's another gateway spider i got a whole list of gateway spiders if you're an arachnophobe and you want to know some gateway spiders hit me up because i can show you all of the cutest ones and you are going to love them i promise you <laughs> yeah i'm looking at one right now and chunky is the right word goodness this is a round boy they are rotund <laughs> they they are portly little spiders this is like a bean bag with legs <laughs> yes yeah they are and they don't get huge some of them get quite sort of sizable but they're not like tarantula size i've got one um i've got a few species but one of them erisus moravicus it's all black it's a, the female is all black all over except her face she looks like she's dipped her face in cheeto dust she's just got this like bright orange kind of smattering of hairs all around her face and i'm like wow hard relate <laughs> she sounds really cute yeah so they're a lot of fun to illustrate but honestly as as has been the theme with this entire conversation so far if it's the spider i love it and i'll draw it so <laughs> you know i i've tried to focus on highlighting you know like people with a lot of passion for underappreciated animals like animals that maybe people don't feel so super uh, like great about i'm glad that you're here as an ambassador for like team spider oh god yeah that's, that's like my whole thing <laughs> spider ambassador that is that is it <laughs> awesome well before we sign off for today i wanted to give you an opportunity to tell people where they can find you on the internet like talk about where they can find your work and your art and stuff like that okay cool so i'm very active on twitter um so if you want to find me on twitter my handle is t underscore francis that's t-e-a underscore francis f-r-a-n-c-i-s 
I am also on Instagram under scientific. So that's basically scientific, but instead of an I, it's an EA. It's my name. It's super clever. I'm smart. (laughs) (laughs) So I have a Patreon page. So on my Patreon, uh, that's Patreon slash scientific. I post a lot of macro photography that I do of my spiders here. I share a lot of the projects that I work on. So I do a lot of like enclosure design. I make my own acrylic enclosures from time to time and I will do them all out with like plants and other, you know, bioactive bits and pieces. Try and make them as pretty as possible. And I like to share the process there. Um, But mostly I try and just share as much educational content as I can on there just to try and help people understand spiders. Depending on like, well, it doesn't matter actually what what sort of level you're at when it comes to this kind of thing. You could be an arachnophobe who just wants to start seeing a little bit more of it and desensitizing through, you know, content from a safe distance. So just like looking at pictures and reading about stuff online. Or you might be a spider aficionado yourself and just want to see more photos and see what kind of enclosures people are making. My Patreon kind of covers all of that and I'm working slowly on a bit of a Twitter project at the moment where I'm doing an alphabet of spider families so there are currently 128 different families of spiders and I'm going through them all alphabetically and doing a thread about you know what makes each family unique all of that ends up on my Patreon as well my Patreon is very affordable so if you wanted to sign up it's either two dollars or five dollars a month um for whatever it is you can read about the tiers what i offer is basically downloads and you know exclusive content but all of the proceeds go towards funding the projects that i work on uh helping me with spider maintenance because you know 500 mouths to feed is is (laughs) quite a lot um but also i'm fundraising at the moment for a research trip to ecuador uh next year with a lab in vancouver who studies spiders they've invited me to go out there with them um as a research assistant which i really 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 want to do so i'm trying to raise the money to be able to make that happen and then i'm also planning on going back to university to get my master's in the next year or so so any money that i raise towards ecuador if ecuador for some reason doesn't happen because of covid for example or whatever any money that doesn't go towards Ecuador gets put into the kitty for tuition fees because it's all, you know, it's all going to cost me a lot of money to do. So <laughs> my Patreon funds all of that. But mostly like online, I just talk about spiders a lot, share a lot of photos and I'm just me. So on Twitter, I love talking to people on Twitter. So if you want to find me and follow me, I would love to to hang out with people more on there. And yeah, that's basically all the important stuff. In terms of other stuff, like if there's anything else that I wanted to plug, like I have a couple of online shops as well that any any money that I make online is all going towards the same things at the moment. So um, I sell jewellery on Etsy. Um, you can look me up. My shop's called Adder's Tongue, Adder's Tongue Artworks. And uh, I have a big cartel as well, which is Tea Cake Art. So if you look up TK Cart, if you just Google TK Cart, all one word, you'll find me. I know that's a lot of things to remember and to look up and a lot of different handles, but hey, I've got ADHD. I'm all over the place. (laughs) But yeah, that's that's pretty much my life on the internet. So look me up. Let's hang out. (laughs) Yes. And and that was where uh, I linked up with you is on Twitter. And it's it's a fun time. It's a fun hang. It is. It is. It's awesome. I love it. Twitter has been an absolute godsend, especially throughout this pandemic. And if it hadn't been for Twitter, I wouldn't have found you and I wouldn't have been obsessively listening to your podcast for the last God knows how many months. And now here I am (laughs) on your podcast, like silently fangirling over here like, oh my God. (laughs) It's it's super cool. So yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for spending your time here with us today. I'm excited to have gotten to know spiders a little bit better and had a fun hang sesh with you. Thank you. We'll we'll talk to you later. Thank you so much. Take care. (laughs) Thanks. You too. Bye. Bye.